Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Coming up in episode 92 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news that Harriet Harman, MP, Chair of the Joint Committee on Human Rights, says that GDPR does not offer adequate protection for data collected by the NHS Tor ID 19 contact tracing app. We also have news of a data breach at Serco of email addresses of 15,000 trainees who are being trained as trackers within the UK government's Tor ID 19 tracking program. And also another data breach at another Tor ID 19 subcontractor being used by the government for Tor ID 19 tracking. This time the contractor was Workforce. And again, it was email data which was inadvertently leaked in a data breach. But just to show it's not only the UK that's having issues with Tor ID 19 tracking, we have news from Ireland that their Tor ID 19 tracking app being developed with HSE has itself suffered from a data breach. Moving away from Tor ID 19, our main story this week is the data breach at airline EasyJet, which has affected the details of some 9 million EasyJet customers. We then have news of an alleged data breach at the EU Parliament, although it has to be said the EU Parliament has strenuously denied that there has been any data breach. And we then have news of a data breach which has affected 190 law firms. Returning to Ireland, we have news from the DPC of action that they are taking against WhatsApp and also Tuzzler. We then have an investigation into a new hacking group going under the handle of Shiny Hunters who have gone on something of a data hacking spree against Tokopedia, Unacademy, Microsoft, Zeus, Home Chef, Minted, the Minnesota Star and Tribune, Mindful, Chatbooks and the Chronicle of Higher Education. And then finally this week, we end with news from the Netherlands of a grandmother who was fined under GDPR after posting photographs of her grandchildren on Facebook without the permission of the children's mother. This case presents an interesting precedent because ordinarily the actions of individual members of the public are not subject to GDPR. So as always, a mixed bag of articles for you this week. We hope you find the articles and information useful and informative. And as always, if you have any feedback, please just drop us an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. I would like to assure you that we do read every single piece of feedback that we receive. And wherever possible, we incorporate your ideas and suggestions into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback that we receive, we don't have time to reply individually to each piece of feedback. Your coronavirus roundup from the GDPR Weekly Show. We begin this week with news that the Human Rights Committee Chair, Harriet Harman MP, says that current data protection law, i.e. GDPR, is not up to the job of governing the data collected by the new COVID-19 contact tracing app being trialled on the Isle of Wight by NHS Digital. 
speaking this week at a virtual press conference, Harriet Harman said that even before the pandemic, the Joint Committee on Human Rights had taken the view that the current system of data protection in the UK was not good enough, but this rang even more true today. This is a wholly new area of data collection and therefore we need not the failed mismatch of protections that are currently existing, we need a new bespoke bill, said Harman. She went on to say, Currently, the protection is spread between the GDPR, the Data Protection Act 2018, Case Law on Privacy and the European Convention on Human Rights, and it's a tangle of law which never envisaged the sort of contact tracing app that is now about to be brought in. So a bespoke law that goes alongside this new app is exactly what is needed. Harriet Harman said she had already expressed these concerns to House Secretary Matt Hancock and offered up a draft bill the Contract Tracing Data Protection Bill 2020, as a fully formed piece of legislation ready for the government to put forward. She has received a reply from Hancock saying that data security and privacy will be protected. And as we know, the Department of Health, the NHS, are saying that that's under GDPR. However, Harriet Harman says that the assurances over data security and privacy did not amount to a satisfactory guarantee. Ms Harman said... He's given that assurance, but actually a letter does not provide any protection, even a letter from Matt Hancock. A bill does. That's why it needs to be in law. She went on to say, I just don't think assurances, however well motivated and genuinely given, cut the mustard. A minister's letter is not legal protection. It's not a framework within which public agencies work. Public agencies work within a framework of law, of legal duties and obligations. So when he, meaning Matt Hancock, says we'll make clear that it will be used to help understand and manage the pandemic, he's simply saying, trust us, we'll make it clear that that's what it will be used for. The gap between what that offers by way of assurance and the certainty of what is necessary is just far too wide, Miss Hellman said. She went on to say, Matt Hancock is on the same page in terms of recognising that there needs to be protections. He just seems to think that his letter is protection enough and it manifestly isn't. And my worry is that they're going to wake up to this too late. Harriet Harman did concede that the government is currently overloaded, but said that her crossbench committee had been able to come to agreement that legislation was necessary, so it was to some extent a no-brainer that the government should adopt the bill. It is understood that Harriet Harman is currently seeking permission from Jacob Rees-Mogg, the leader of the House of Commons, to introduce her bill as a private member's bill. This is necessary because due to the pandemic there is currently no mechanism to do so in a normal manner. She added that even though the committee had said the development of the contact tracing app should not go ahead without appropriate legislation in place, she personally would download it even without the bill having been passed. We expect this to be an ongoing story, so we will no doubt bring you updates to this in the next upcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay in. Stay safe. Even away from the new NHS app, the idea of contact tracking had its own problems this week. The first occurred on Wednesday when contractor Serco was forced to apologise for sharing contact tracers' email addresses. Serco is currently training staff to trace cases of COVID-19 for the UK government. It made the error when it emailed new trainees to tell them about the training. Serco said it had apologised to all those concerned and would review its processes to make sure that this does not happen again. House Secretary Matt Hancock has said that in the UK some 25,000 contact tracers have been hired, some of whom are healthcare professionals. The idea of these contact tracers is that they will gather contacts from 12ID19 patients and trace those people by phone or email to slow the spread of the disease in the community. 
What happened in this particular case, as far as we were able to ascertain, is that Serco issued an email which it circulated to all of its 15,000 trainees and included the contact details, the email address of everyone else who was receiving the email in the CC of the email rather than using BCC blind copy, which would have prevented this from occurring. This is most definitely a data breach and it is understood that at least one member of staff has complained to the Information Commissioner of the ICO. It's important and to understand that Serco has stressed that the error did not involve any patient data, but nonetheless it's clearly an embarrassing incident for the company. Although last year, when the Home Office itself made a similar error, it referred itself to the ICO, Serco has said it's not intending to refer itself to the ICO, but simply recorded the incident in the Serco Company Data Breach Register. I think this one is borderline on whether it should have been reported to the ICO or not. As a general rule, if one of my clients said that they had inadvertently CC'd an email to people when they should have used BCC, I would have said that it needed a entry in the Data Breach Register and not a report to the ICO. However... There are two things to bear in mind here. One is the volume of data, and 15,000 is a big volume of data, so that to me that would indicate that it should be reported to the ICO. And B, the sensitivity of the data. Now, whilst it's just an email address, that's fair enough, my guess is that most of these people who are being contact tracers aren't going to want the whole wide world knowing that they are contact tracers, and indeed there's no reason either all of the other contact tracers should have one contact tracer's email address. Doesn't make sense. No reason for them to know it. And so in that sense, I think it probably should be reported to the ICO. Now, whether the ICO will choose to follow this up with Serco, at the moment we don't know. We are aware that an employee has raised it as a data breach with the ICO. So as we get further updates from the ICO, we'll bring them to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Anyone can spread coronavirus. Stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. Serco weren't the only top ID tracking outsourcer to have a data breach this week. A data breach also affected private recruitment firm Workforce, who were inviting coronavirus contact tracing applicants to job interviews on Monday. On Sunday, 48 of the London applicants were sent an email cancelling their appointment, inadvertently making all their email addresses visible to each other, again through use of the CC field rather than BCC. Yet again, of course, this is a data breach. After the interviews were cancelled, the applicants were invited to rebook. When they tried to access their online interview, technical issues meant they were unable to. Workforce have not replied to our request for comment, but the company is understood to have apologised to the applicants whose data was shared. Now, in this case, unlike the Serto case, although the error is actually the same, i.e. using CC rather than BCC, the volume of data is actually very small. So I think as long as Workforce have apologised to those concerned and they've entered it into their own data breach register, I really don't see in this particular case there is any further action that needs to be taken. But it's obviously embarrassing to Workforce and embarrassing to the government that within a matter of days, two of their contractors have data breaches involving a really very simple data breach of using CC rather than BCC in emails. And as any of you who've been on our training will know, It is by far, in our experience, the most common data breach. It's so simple to do. So please, if you do nothing else this week, make sure your staff know that when they're sending emails, particularly if they're sending emails to people outside of your organisation, make sure that they're using those emails within the BCC field and not the CC field 
and then this problem will never affect you. It really is very, very simple to solve, very, very simple to implement. It just needs training and reinforcing that training with regular reminders to your staff that that's what they should be doing. This is an important coronavirus update. Stay home, protect our NHS. To be fair to the UK government and the contractors here, it's not just in the UK that COVID-19 tracking apps are attracting attention and are suffering from some data concerns and data breaches. Just across the sea in Ireland, the HSC is developing a national coronavirus tracing app of which little is known, even though it's due to be launched at the end of May or early June, albeit in a limited trial. However, this week, the project was dealt a blow when the HSE released sensitive COVID-19 test result data to employers rather than to the affected individual employees, immediately raising further concerns about the app and about the HSE's ability to see, much less address, valid ethical concerns about data gathering on a population-wide scale. HSE said that as this was a health crisis, GDPR allowed an exemption from shielding such data even though health data falls into GDPR's special designation category for ultra-sensitive information requiring extra protection. And I think it's important to say that's a bit of a misconception on the part of HSE. GDPR does still very much apply, albeit that there are certain relaxations because of the COVID-19 situation, but that doesn't amount to a relaxation that says they can share data with all and sundry. Graham Doyle, Deputy Commissioner at the Irish Data Protection Commission, the DPC, the Irish equivalent of RICO, confirmed that the DPC cannot see how it can be legitimised that medical test results of this nature would not be communicated in the first instance directly to each individual staff member. He added that while it may be necessary also to inform employers, this must be done after the employee had been contacted. He said the DPC had received numerous complaints from individuals who have expressed shock and upset at receiving results via their line manager. Irish Minister for Health Simon Harris and the HSE initially defended the practice, saying that in some cases contact information for individuals was missing, so employers were contacted instead. If this is true, then how strange to defend a large failing with another worrying failing, i.e. that they didn't have the personal contact information that surely is essential in the tracking app in the first place. To his credit, Irish Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Hollihan was quick to rightly call such actions a breach of confidentiality full stop. And in response to news that the HSC was to suspend the practice, Minister for Justice Charlie Flanagan tweeted, Bizarre and unusual conduct by HSC, rethink welcome. Now just as in the UK, it has to be said that producing the app in such a short period of time does present certain hazards. And, of course, we are driven by time on this because, you know, it's no good having a COVID ID tracking app, which is going to take 12 months to jump to market. But nonetheless, as we've always stressed, personal data is very important. GDPR is very important. And so it's important that the developers of these apps do work in association with their related ICO in their country to ensure that data is kept secure as much as is humanly possible. If we receive any update on this app from HSE or any update from the DPC in Ireland, we will, of course, bring it to you in an upcoming edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And now, the rest of this week's news. Away from COVID-19, by far the biggest GDPR-related story in the UK this week has been the 
cyber attack on EasyJet, which has resulted in the loss of approximately 9 million customers' data. EasyJet said that email addresses and travel details had been stolen and that 2,208 customers had also had their credit and debit card details accessed. The firm said it has informed the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, of the data breach. However, the breach is likely to raise concerns for two reasons. One, the sheer volume of data, the 9 million customer records being accessed. But B, the fact that EasyJet first became aware of the attack in January. And yet, it's only now that it's reporting this out to both those affected and to the ICO. Now, clearly, that's in breach of the requirement under GDPR to report data breaches to the ICO within 72 hours of the data controller becoming aware of the data breach, where the breach is sufficiently large or serious enough to need reporting, and this one clearly is. In a statement, EasyJet said... This was a highly sophisticated attacker. It took time to understand the scope of the attack and to identify who had been impacted. We could only inform people once the investigation had progressed enough that we were able to identify whether any individuals had been affected, then who had been impacted and what information had been accessed. It is understood that the stolen credit card data included the three-digit security code, the CVV number, which is shown on the signature strip on the back of the card. Now that's very important because the credit card number, expiry date and the CVV number obviously presents massive potential for identity theft and for transactions to take place which would appear to the retailer to be perfectly valid and yet the card details are actually stolen. EasyJet added that it had gone public now in order to warn the 9 million customers whose email addresses have been stolen to be wary of phishing attacks. It said it would notify everyone affected by the 26th of May. EasyJet did not provide details about the nature of the attack or the motives, but said its investigation suggested hackers were targeting company intellectual property rather than information that could be used in identity theft. There is no evidence that any personal information of any nature has been misused. However, on the recommendation of the ICO, we are communicating with the approximately 9 million customers whose travel details were accessed to advise them of protective steps to minimise any risk of potential phishing, a spokesman said. We are advising customers to be cautious of any communications purporting to come from EasyJet or EasyJet holidays. In response to the breach, the ICO has said that it is currently investigating. In a statement from the ICO, Spokesperson said people have a right to expect that organisations will handle their personal information securely and responsibly. When that doesn't happen, we will investigate and take robust action where necessary. It also warned people to be on the lookout for phishing attacks and directed them to its website on how to spot such scams. A phishing attempt is when criminals send emails with links to fake web pages in an attempt to steal personal data. I and mean, it's known that phishing attacks have risen exponentially during the coronavirus crisis. Google recently said it's blocking more than 100 million phishing emails per day to Gmail users. It's likely that hackers will take advantage of the fact that people are cancelling flights because of the uncertainty related to the spread of COVID-19. Of course, this couldn't really come at a worse time for EasyJet, with COVID-19 already seriously impacting on the company's revenues for the current year, in common with all aviation companies worldwide. But if we look at the ICO's record on this, but it's supposed to fine British Airways £183 million, although that's still subject to an appeal from British Airways, I think it's fair to say that EasyJet are probably going to be looking at a penalty in somewhere of the same magnitude. And so a massive hit on their bottom line 
in a year when they really, really didn't struggle to afford it. The only slight thing that could actually ironically act in EasyJet's favour with having the data breach now is that the penalty can't be more than 4% of the global turnover of the company. So clearly if the global turnover of the company falls dramatically, as it will, because of the job ID crisis and few flights operating, then that could actually have the impact of reducing the penalty, which EasyJet have to pay in this case. But we're still at a very early stage in the case, so it's a bit early to start trying to work out what the penalties will be. But this case will run and run, just like the British Airways one did. And we will, of course, bring you any updates on the EasyJet data breach in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. We are counting down to episode 100 of the GDPR Weekly Show. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... Yes, it's true. The excitement's building here in the GDPR Weekly Show studio as we move towards our 100th episode. We always want to say thank you to our listeners and we have some great giveaways lined up for episode 100. So please do make sure that you stay tuned, that you listen to the GDPR Weekly Show every week. And especially those episodes from episode 95 to episode 100 when we'll be hinting towards what the giveaways are going to be in our 100th edition of the show. So if they don't already, now's a great time to tell your colleagues, your work colleagues, your, your contacts at other companies that you deal with. If they don't already listen to the GDPR Weekly Show, then what have they been doing with their time? Do get them to listen, because the more listeners we have, the better show we can produce. And the better show we produce, the better giveaways that we'll be able to have for you. So keep your ears peeled for things coming up in the weeks ahead. There has been an ongoing dispute this week over whether there has actually been a data breach at the European Parliament or not. On the one hand, a cybersecurity firm says it's found a huge data leak affecting thousands of EU officials. On the other hand, a spokesperson for the European Parliament says they find no record of there being a data breach at all. So quite what has happened? Well, let's give you a little bit of background to this. Yasha Tadakia, founder of the Security Brigade and Shadow Map, said his group had found a major data breach. Yash is a security expert and a self-proclaimed code monkey who says he was able to easily access data and passwords from members of the European Parliament. After Brussels denied the claims, Mr Chudathia doubled down and revealed more details of the alleged data breach. Yesterday, he said this includes data and passwords of 200-plus members of the European Parliament, European Council and European Commission. It also impacts 1,000 plus members of staff at the European Parliament. The data also includes 15,000 users including journalists, members of a number of political parties and institutions. It also includes members of several European Union institutions like Europol, European Data Protection Supervisor, EU IPO, Frontex and others. A spokesperson for the European Parliament said they investigated all the claims and they said that no Parliament accounts had been involved. The spokesperson went on to say, We have been informed about these allegations. The possible incident has been looked into and we can confirm that no official accounts or mailboxes of the European Parliament are involved. This information may be related to an old service account of a political group. In response to the European Parliament's comments, Mr Tiratia said a breach had definitely occurred. He then provided more details of the alleged breach. He said, I don't think their statement would be accurate. 
The data certainly uses at least 2,000 official accounts. I can confirm there are at least 2,000 compromised emails that use Europa.eu domain. He said the data includes 10 members of the European Council using at consilium.europa.eu, 90 members of the European Commission using at ec.europa.eu, 103 members of the European Parliament using at ep.europa.eu and 1,010 members of the European Parliament using europol.europa.eu. We have contacted the European Parliament, given this fresh information, to see if they have any further comment to make on their claims of the data breach, but at the time of going to broadcast, we've not yet heard back from them. If we hear back from them during the coming week, we will, of course, bring you an update to this story in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. A leading UK software company exposed personal information belonging to over 190 law firms through an unsecured online database. Turgensec, security firm, discovered the breach but could not immediately identify the owner of the online database and therefore contacted the National Cyber Security Centre, the NCSC. Following responsible disclosure policy, the firm contacted the affected law firms who confirmed the data leak came from legal documents hosted by Laserform Hub, owned by Advanced Computer Software Group Limited. The database was accessible online to anybody with a browser and an internet connection. Advanced Computer Software claimed the details exposed were largely public records and resorted not to report the leak. It is understood that the information exposed by the data breach includes details relating to the staff of the law firms. The information uncovered in the data leak could be deemed sensitive or special when included details such as hash passwords, legal documents, passport numbers, mother's maiden name and eye colour. The law firms affected have both their primary and form data leak. Primary data includes details such as usernames, IDs and hash passwords, while form data contains records such as authentication codes, company details and service charges. The data leak is understood to have exposed 10,000 legal documents of about 190 law firms for years before Turgensec discovered the data security flaw. The Financial Times reports that the data leak includes data from three Magic Circle law firms. Some of the notable law firms whose legal documents were leaked include Clifford Chance and Slaughter and May. Justin Young, Director of Security and Compliance at Advance, said the information revealed in the data leak was a public domain and published by Company's House. He added that some of the fields were blank and the rest contained only the first three letters. He said sensitive information such as business email addresses, passwords and security verification responses had been left out. Mr Young said the passwords were in hash form and there was very little discernible information from the legal documents exposed in the data leak. His company had not reported the data leak to the ICO, citing independent legal advice and the nature of the data compromised. After Turgensec established the database belonged to Advanced and tried to make contacts with them, the software company was unresponsive. Advanced later sent a written statement informing the cybersecurity firm that it had no right to associate the data leak with Advanced. Despite the rebuff by Advanced, it is unlikely law firms to publish legal documents, including hash passwords or the first three letters of security responses. The first three letters are highly discernible, especially when it involves places and names. It should also give hackers hints about the possible names, thus making it easy for a hacker to perform a brute force attack. However, both advanced and the law firms affected would possibly like the information leak to remain discreet to avoid breaking the trust of their clients. Now, obviously, without knowing precisely what data has been revealed, it's very hard to know whether this breach should have been referred to the ICO or not. It should definitely have been recorded in advanced own data breach register. 
and we're seeking clarification on this. So if we get more information on this from either Advance or from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Data Protection Commission, the DPC, which is Ireland's equivalent to our ICO, have completed their inquiry into social networking site Twitter, which could pave the way for the first fines to be levied against big tech firms by the Irish watchdog. As we previously mentioned in the GDPR Weekly Show, there's been some concern across Europe at the lack of speed in which the DPC has investigated some of the big tech firms and data breaches which have been reported by them and part that's down to lack of resource within the DPC. So it's quite good I think to see finally some concrete action coming out of the DPC in this case against Twitter. It has to be said too that the announcement of the action against Twitter was just one of a number of announcements made by the DPC on Friday but the full details of the judgment will not be made clear until other data watchdogs across Europe have reviewed it. If wrongdoing has been identified in the Twitter case and the decision is supported by other supervisory authorities, a fine and corrective measure will follow. One thing that was announced on Friday though was a fine for Tuzla, the child and family agency. It relates to a case in which sensitive personal data about an individual against whom an allegation of abuse had been made was posted on social media. It is the second time in a matter of weeks that Tuzla has been on the receiving end of enforcement action by the DPC. Earlier this month, an application was made to the courts in relation to an investigation which involves three different breaches. One of these saw the contact and location data of a mother and child victim disclosed to the alleged abuser. Another related to the improper disclosure of data about children in foster care to blood relatives, including in one instance to a father who is currently in prison. The Twitter case relates to the company's handling of a data breach in November 2018, which it reported to the DPC. Specifically, the DPC has examined the social media giant's compliance with two aspects of GDPR. Those are the promptness of disclosure of the data breach, as well as how the company handled aspects of the breach, including record-keeping and documentation, which would enable regulators to verify compliance with GDPR. In addition to the Twitter findings and the filing for Tuzla, the DPC said on Friday it passed other milestones in relation to two inquiries into Facebook and other platforms owned by Facebook. A preliminary draft decision has been sent to WhatsApp Ireland, the messenger platform owned by Facebook. Graham Doyle, Deputy Commissioner within the DPC, said the inquiry into WhatsApp is examining its compliance with GDPR Articles 12 to 14 in relation to transparency around what information WhatsApp shares with Facebook. The watchdog also said it's completed investigation phase of its inquiry into Facebook Island's obligations to establish a lawful basis for personal data processing. This inquiry is based on a complaint made by the Austrian privacy campaigner Matt Srems, who regular listeners will know we've mentioned a number of times on the GDPR Weekly Show. Draft inquiry reports have also been sent to complainants and companies involved in two other big tech inquiries, which concern WhatsApp and Instagram. So, interesting times in Ireland, and when we get updates from the DPC on any of these judgments, we will, of course, bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Often imitated, but never duplicated. A group calling themselves Shiny Hunters are making themselves something of a reputation for going on a data breach spree over the last few weeks. 
It's not yet known whether shiny hunters are a group of individuals from the dark web or whether they are a state actor, but they are certainly making an impact. Largely, it has to be said at the moment, on the US side of the pond, but of course it's always possible that they will come to Europe in the near future. So far, they've stolen data or exposed data from over 10 sites. They began with an attack on Tokopedia, an Indonesian e-commerce site, where they exposed some 15 million customer data records. Two days later, the group started selling what it claimed was the full trove of 91 million Tokopedia user accounts on the popular dark web marketplace Empire. The same day, the group also began selling a trove of almost 22 million user accounts from the Indian education platform UN Academy, or Unacademy. Both companies have confirmed the breaches, although Unacademy says the number of affected users is 11 million, rather than the 22 million claimed by the Shiny Hunters group. It has to be said in both these cases, although the data stolen was email addresses, full names and account creation dates, and in some cases phone numbers and dates of birth, in both cases the passwords were hashed and so would be difficult to track. Then on May the 6th, Shiny Hunters claimed to have stolen over 500 gigabytes of Microsoft source code from the company's private GitHub account. To prove they had the data, the group circulated one gigabyte of the data, which Microsoft said, whilst it appeared legitimate, was largely sample projects and code snippets that it intended for publication anyway. In a statement, Microsoft said, we're aware of these claims and are investigating. Should we identify any directly impacted customers, we will contact them via our established channels. Then in the following week, Shiny Hunters really have gone on the rampage. They started with dating app Zoost, meal kit company Home Chef, Design Focus Marketplace Minted, before moving on to Minnesota's Star Tribune newspaper, the health and wellness site Mindful, the photo printing service, chapbook, and the web publication, The Chronicle of Higher Education. Not all of these companies have so far acknowledged Shiny Hunter's claims, but more and more are going public, so it seems likely that Shiny Hunter's claims are justified. On Wednesday this week, Home Chef said in a statement, We recently learned of a data security incident impacting selected customer information. Based on the information known to date, the following information was impacted in the incident. Email address, name and phone number encrypted passwords, the last four digits of credit card numbers. Other account information such as frequency delivers and mailing addresses may also have been compromised. In a similar statement, Chatbook said, We found that the breach occurred on March 26, 2020, and that the stolen information appears to consist primarily of Chatbook's login credentials, including names, email addresses, and individually sorted and hashed passwords. Additionally, for a small portion of the affected records, some phone numbers, Facebook IDs and inactive social media access and merchant tokens were also stolen. No payment or credit card information was compromised. We wait and see what shiny hunters do next. It might be a flash in the pan or it might be a far more serious threat. Um, If we receive any update, we will of course bring it to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. And we finish this week with rather an unusual story of a grandmother who was ordered to delete Facebook photos under GDPR. A court in the Netherlands has ruled that a lady must delete photographs of her grandchildren that she posted on Facebook and Pinterest without their parents' permission. The case ended up in court 
after a falling out between the woman and her daughter. The judge ruled the matter was within the scope of the EU GDPR. It is understood that the case came to court because the grandmother refused to delete photographs of her grandchildren which she'd posted on social media. The mother of the children had asked several times for the pictures to be deleted. It should be noted that under normal circumstances, GDPR does not apply to purely personal or household processing of data. Otherwise, everyone, every single household, would have to register under GDPR. However, the exemption did not apply because posting photographs on social media made them available to a wider audience, the court said. With Facebook, it cannot be ruled out that placed photos may be distributed and may end up in the hands of third parties. The court ordered the woman to remove the photos or pay a fine of €50 for every day that she fails to comply with the order, up to a maximum fine of €1,000. If she posts more images of the children in the future, she will be fined an extra €50 a day. So the whole emphasis in this case is that the photographs had been posted on Facebook on a social media platform. And so it does create a precedent of where personal data posted just by an individual, by a family member, could fall under the remit of GDPR. We will likely return to this in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show as there are some fundamental issues to be addressed and we will come back to that when we have time to dedicate to it. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know, let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week everybody and remember to keep your data safe. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.